Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, welcome back to Beyond the Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Pabuda. And I'm your co-host, Alex Boudreau. Uh, we came off a pretty long weekend, well, me anyway. Alex kind of chill. oh no, we didn't chill Friday. We got pretty fucked up Friday, and then Saturday... Um, I feel like we say this every episode. <laughs> Come off a three day bender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has been a pretty common theme the last few weeks. But uh, this this weekend, Friday, we went out met some boys um, in Jersey City. And then Saturday, I had to wake up about three hours after we got home for a golf tournament in which I had to, was mandatory that every player had to consume fifteen beers apiece. Um, believe it or not, by the stroke of God, I made it from there back down to Homedale in which I uh, went to go attend one of my buddies from high school's uh, birthday parties. Alex had met me there. I don't know how I, I made it there, but, you know, like I said, by the stroke of God, uh, I still had a pulse when I got there. So, as you can imagine, my Sunday, I was glued to my bed because I couldn't move anywhere. Um, we thought about drinking, and that was... <laughs> yeah, that went to shit really quick. That idea went to shit really quick. And uh, we're pretty happy with the decision because today we are starting to feel remotely normal again. Um, again, as Alex said, that is a reoccurring theme for us on Mondays. Um, but anyway, on a brighter note, we have a really good show for you guys today. Um, she was the main star, one of the main stars, one of the lead females in the Broadway show Jersey Boys before finding her way over to the big screen and... Uh, playing the same role of Mary Delgado, Frankie Valli's first wife, in the film adaptation directed and produced by Clint Eastwood. Um, her name is Renee Marino. She was a, introduced to us through a, a friend of ours. She's a family friend. Um, and honestly, she was one of our favorite interviews to date. Super down to earth, super awesome person to talk to. Uh, and as you can imagine, because she was a female, Alex and I decided to bounce some relationship advice off of her which could actually be pretty funny for your amusement because since to that point, we have been swiping nonstop on Hinge and Tinder. She's a communications coach, also uh, in the process of writing her own book um, to release and, and kind of coach people to kind of find the confidence within themselves to um, be able to speak out. and, and, and Hence kind of, why we asked for the relationship advice. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's been very dry this whole quarantine. <laughs> and, um, like Evan said, every single platform we are on that <laughs> So for all you females out there, if you've seen us on those platforms, <laughs> please give us some love. <laughs> um, anyway, Renee made us feel a lot better about being 24 years old and single because uh, for a while we were really down in the dumps about it. But anyway, um, yeah, no, she's great. She's, she does a lot of great work with communications. We started following her on Instagram and we see all the stuff she's posting and um, she does a really great job. I'm really looking forward to her book coming out. Um, definitely something that I'm interested in reading on. She touches on it uh, in this episode. Um, so it's something for uh, all of us to look forward to. But, but yeah, no, so Renee is a Jersey girl through and through, born and raised here. So for her to kind of make it onto that movie, um, and then on, obviously on Broadway, her being so into dance her whole life and singing, um, it was a dream come true. So um, she's a really great story, takes us through all that. And like I said, going through her journey now. And then we talk a little bit about the potential of her going back into acting. She's one of those people who doesn't close the door on anything. So, um, I, like I said, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. And, uh, yeah, Bruce, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! Recording out of New York City, New York. Welcome to the Undisputed Greatest Podcast in the World. Be 
beyond the brand. So do you want to, so I don't know if um, those guys told you this, but now I'm, I'm a coach, I'm a communication Mm -hmm. coach. So Yeah, so that's so that's the whole point of the podcast is we like to talk to people about like what like they might have done and then we like to see like what they're up to now and like what what's different about like what people might know them for. So absolutely, I love it. And we're looking to find our girlfriends. So if you, <laughs> yeah, if might, you have any friends we, in the dance academy, yeah. please let us know. We might need some advice with that. Let me think on it. Let me think on it. Quarantine's pretty rough right now. <laughs> I mean, seriously, every I was talking to a girlfriend and I was like, so. And she's single, beautiful. Oh, maybe. I, I think she's older than you guys. But anyway. Not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I mean, it's impossible. Like, what are you going to do? Meet yeah. someone and, and, like, meet them with a mask and be like, hey. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, it's weird times right now. Yeah. Um, just like I said, you know, t- take us a little bit through um, your upbringing. You said from Lyndon, not Elizabeth. Um, and then yeah. where your passion yeah. for dance and theater came from. Yeah. So it's funny because as far back as I can remember, I, I loved dance. That was my first love. And I was about five years old and my mother put me in dance class and right away I just took to it. And I was like known as the tap and jazz girl. So I loved, you know, like dancing around, moving my hips. And then when I was eight years old, uh, my best friend at the time was doing community theater and I had no idea what that was, but all I knew was my best friend Betsy was doing it, so I wanted to do it. So the it was that was my first musical, and it was called George M. And I'll never forget I had a singing solo, and bam, that was it. I like got on stage and I sang, and I was like, oh, I'm hooked. And just from there, it, it kind of took off. I started taking private voice lessons, and then once I got into high school, I did all of the musicals and. You know, I got to perform at the governor's mansion and, you know, just all over the country performed. We had like a musical theater touring troupe in our high school. And then when it was time for college, I was like, you know what? I have to major in my one true love performing. I want to do musical theater. And, you know, so many people were like, oh, come on. Like you need something to fall back on. It's like such a hard career, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I know, but I'm going to do it. Awesome. And I, I went to Wagner in Staten Island. Uh, I have a quick question for you. So, because yeah. I, I was always curious about this. Like, you said you started to take singing lessons after the fact. Was your voice prior to that, like, naturally good? Or was yes. It- you know, I think there is a certain natural ability. Not that someone who doesn't have natural ability can't learn it, mm-hmm. but I do feel like there's a, a innate quality that you're like, okay. Because I, I remember even when I went to my first voice teacher, she was very very professional and she told my mother she was like listen if i don't think she has the um the potential i'm not going to take her on you know i just don't want to waste your time i don't want to waste my time and you know i went into the voice lesson and she was like no absolutely i want to work with her so yes i do think that there is an innate innate quality but just like anything you know sports you could be kind of good naturally good but then once you get with a coach you get the technique you're like okay this is a game changer so yeah so that that's what happened with me and then once I got into college again just I mean it was like the best some of the best four years of my life right when I um joined as my first semester started auditioning and I got cast my first semester freshman year which is you know not that common just because usually you know it takes you a little bit but right away I just you know immersed myself in the education and it was great because it was a liberal arts as well. So 
that's what I wanted. I wanted to major in musical theater, but I still wanted my regular courses, my math, my science, all of that. So I had the best of both worlds, really. And my last semester, senior year, I started auditioning in the city because I'm sure as you guys know, I mean, you're so close to the city. I'd hop on the ferry, go into New York City, audition, and I booked the lead singer in a casino show in Biloxi, Mississippi. And my mother, <laughs> I'll never forget calling her from my dorm. And I was like, mom, I just booked a show in Biloxi, Mississippi. And she's like, Biloxi, where is that? Like, where are you going to live? And I was like, oh no, it's, it's gonna be great. It's casinos, it's really fun. So right, literally the day after college graduation, I was on a plane to Mississippi and it was just the coolest job, you know, at 21 years old to be like, I'm starring in a casino show. Like my picture was on billboards. Like I was like, this is so cool. And I'll never forget. I got my first paycheck and I was like in the balcony. I was on the balcony for in my hotel room and I called my mom and I was like, do you see why I do this? I love this so much. I just got paid to do my hobby. And like that to me was such such like a light bulb moment where I was like, yeah, if you find a job you like, you'll never have to work a day in your life. It's so true. I had been doing it for free my whole life because that was my hobby. So that was a very cool moment. So did that for three and a half months, came back home to Linden. And in the meantime, while I was auditioning, I was a substitute. How, how, different, how different was it from Mississippi and Linden, New Jersey? Oh my God, you have no idea. <laughs> Well, it was so funny, like, the oh my God, I met the most wonderful people. I lived in the hotel that I performed in. So like everybody was like, the security guards, everyone who worked at the restaurants, everyone, they were just like my friends. And I remember leaving there and like feeling so sad because I was like, I'm gonna miss you guys. Like, it's just a different world. I mean, you know, I'm eating like catfish and um, what is it called, grits, you know? Like, I was like, this is, this is different. So then, you know, you come back to Jersey and it's, it's like, okay, now we're back home. We're gonna eat how the pasta and the meatballs. How'd it go though? How did you like prepare for it? Did you have any stage fright? No, you know, there's always an element of nerves, but I like to take a couple shots before, you know. <laughs> no, never. You know, that's funny. I never drink like even in college, people would sometimes drink before performances, not me. I couldn't. Like I need to be so focused. Yeah. And I I could never understand that because I'm like, how could you be on stage like dancing, turning, like guys lifting you and you're like maybe half in the bag, you know? Like I was like, that's not that's not my style. But being in Mississippi was incredible because it just it taught me so much about leading a show, essentially. We did two shows a night and just, you know, knowing what it takes to to keep yourself well, because that's the biggest thing with being a performer. You know, your body is your tool. Like I'm not an accountant. I'm not using a computer. It's like, it's me. So if I'm not in alignment, I'm not well rested, haven't eaten well, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to perform at your best. So came back home from that, started substitute teaching as my day job at my old high school, Linden high school, which was so trippy because I felt like I was just there and like now I'm teaching. And I was like, wait, I thought I was so grown in high school. I was not like, it, it's just, it, was, it was so crazy, but loved it. I love teaching. And it was perfect because, you know, on my free periods, I would go look on the computer, look at auditions. So that brought me to my next big job, which was um, I was a swing. And I don't know if you know what a swing is, but a swing means you cover several different roles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when those people are out sick, when you go see a show 
and there's someone else in their place, it's usually a swing for the, for the ensemble, like the chorus people. So it was Cats, the 25th anniversary of Cats, the musical. And I was touring all around North America for a year. And it was amazing, but still one of the hardest jobs I ever did because I literally had to cover six different roles. And that is a very intense show physically. I mean, you're singing high C's, you're dancing your butt off and then you're in fur. So like you're just dripping sweat. And because I wasn't on stage every night, I didn't have the ability to develop the stamina. And you guys know it's like muscle memory, right? Your body, once you get used to it, you're good. But I wasn't on stage every day. So what I would do, because I'm very self-motivated, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do the show full out on the side of stage every night. And it was the best learning experience that, you know, there's nothing can replace like hard work ethic. So then every time, cause I would get called in to go on stage in the middle of a show. So I'll be sitting there singing backstage and they're like, Renee, let's go, you're on for the white cat. And I'm like in the dressing room, putting my hair up, putting makeup on and then on stage. So how tough is that? You've got to know how many roles. Like, oh my uh, God. That was six, that one was six. It depends. So I've been a swing in, in many different shows, which I'll get to, but it depends, it's, it's tough. But this was definitely the hardest show because it's so physically demanding. Mm -hmm. So if you've been sitting, sitting for an hour and now you have to go on stage and be like kicking your face, being a cat, like that's hard. <laughs> so yeah. You gotta be ready. Like you really have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. um, did that for a year. I was like, okay, I want to now get my equity card, which means I wanted to become part of the union, the actors union. So I had to turn down some jobs. And then my next big job was um, Disney's High School Musical. This was when the movies were out and they just made it a stage version. So I was in the original stage version, which was amazing. Then we toured for, for a year and I was like, you know what? My, my goal is Broadway. Like that's been my dream. If I want it to happen, I need to be back in New York City. So I left the tour, took the risk. Everyone thought I was crazy because they're like, you're making so much, you know, you're making money. This is such a good job. And I was like, it doesn't matter for me right now. The money, it's like, I know where my focus is. So came back and then I auditioned for a little show called Jersey Boys. And again, I was, they wanted me as the universal swing, which means I covered three companies of the show. So the Vegas company, the national tour and the Chicago company. So that, again, intense, I'm flying everywhere, you know, covering different girls in the show. And after six months, the role of Mary Delgado, who plays Frankie Valli's wife, she, um, on the tour, she was leaving. So they asked if I would come play Mary on the tour. And I was like, hell yes, it'll be so nice to play one role, <laughs> not 25. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a year and that was such a dream role for me. You know, I'm really from New Jersey. I grew up listening to the Four Seasons the storyline literally takes place like miles away. So for me, this show was so special. So I did that for a year, but then again, that I, I was, that little voice was like, Renee, you want to be on Broadway, right? So I left the tour, came back, auditioned, and then I book, booked after, it was probably six months, uh, West Side Story on Broadway, which was my Broadway debut, the revival. And it was incredible. Again, I, I did that. I, I did you have butterflies for that? Because like, because you said that. Oh my god! Of course. Like that oh, was probably your biggest. Yeah, it was. Experience. Yeah, and you know it's funny, like with nerves, right? Sometimes, I'm. I love sometimes getting thrown into stuff because you don't have time to think. 
-hmm. Like, I feel like sometimes where many of us fall awry is when we're in our heads, because we're like, oh, shit, here we go. Like, there's a million people. But for me, in a lot of these situations, even with West Side Story, I had my Broadway debut, you guys, after three days, which wasn't supposed to happen. You're supposed to have weeks of rehearsal. But of course, in Renee fashion, they're like, we got to throw you on. So I literally was only three days into rehearsal. And they call me, they're like, so you're going to be on for the matinee. And I'm like, holy. <laughs> so it, it was definitely nerve wracking, but exciting. And I just remember like taking my bow and like just crying. Cause I was did like, you, oh, did your whole family come too? No, because no one knew I was having my debut. This is what I mean. It was so crazy. I literally, after the show ended, I posted on Facebook and I was like, well, just had my Broadway debut. And like, I get all these messages of my friends who were like, what the hell? Like, you didn't tell me. And I'm like, you guys, I didn't know. Like, my parents weren't there. And they all assumed it was Jersey Boys. And I was like, no, it's West Side Story. Yeah. So where were you reaching out to these casting calls? Was it through, like, prior connections or just so, No, so at that time, I had an agent. Um, and, you know, through my agency, they would get me the auditions. But I'll still say this. Nobody works harder for you than yourself. Yeah. And that's how I feel. And listen, my, those agents were wonderful. Love them. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm still out there like looking, you know, looking at auditions. And sometimes I would call them and be like, Hey, they're auditioning for this show. I'd love to be seen for it. Can you get me in? Yeah. You know? So it's kind of, it's a team effort. But the thing is, I feel like a lot of up and coming performers and aspiring performers are like, I have to get an agent. That's yeah. it. Like I need an agent. And it's like, no, I did the whole, I mean, beginning of my career was all me. And so there, there, that's just kind of a stigma attached to it. So it's like, if you're an a aspiring performer out there, just jump on in, start auditioning. That's, that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So from wow. West Side Story, did that for nine months until it closed. I can't believe you didn't, you didn't even like shoot your parents a text. Like, hey, like, I'm, like when you shoot, you found out. L like, l guys, when I tell you, <laughs> they were... Renee, you're going to be up for the matinee. Now, you have to understand what this means. This is like learning. I mean, West Side Story, it's a classic, right? The choreography is crazy hard. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning it. It wasn't even three full days. It was like two and a half days. So I didn't even actually finish learning the whole show. So no one has time to call anybody. I was like, oh, my God. They're, put, they're fitting costumes on me. They don't even know my size yet. They're like, all right, Renee, try this out. Okay, how are these shoes? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, I was an exercise science major and I was taking like Zumba classes. I couldn't even finish a whole class. <laughs> I, I used to teach Zumba. I know, I love Zumba. Yeah, it's no joke. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's such a, you know, it's, it's building stamina and that people are like, oh yeah, whatever. I'm like, no, you try it. You know, that's like me going to run a marathon and I haven't run even a mile. You're like, no, 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 no. You have to build that muscle. You have to develop it. So that's what a performer, like perf actors, singers, dancers, they are truly athletes. Even though, you know, people don't consider it because it's not a sport, but let me tell you, the work is intense. Yeah. Do you still dance now, like during quarantine? Just like, you know, training? Oh, yeah. oh my God, I'm always dancing. I will always dance, be a dancer. Um, but, you know, Broadway shut down. So yeah. not doing it there. <laughs> <laughs> but you, But that's the thing, again, like going back to being self-motivated, like, in my career, I feel like the theme has been, you gotta be ready. And I've always been ready because that's just my personality. I'm like, I, I do something, I do a 500%.
So for me, it was always great because when they threw me in, I'm like, all right, let's go, let's do this. And it's very easy to get, to sit back, right? And be like, no, it's cool. I, I, I figured it out, right? I know what that, oh, I know that dance or I, I could sing that. But it's like, until you do it consistently, you don't have it. So mm -hmm. that's why it's so important to just practice that. How long is Broadway closed down for? Have you heard anything? They stay till January 2021. 20, uh, uh, who wow. knows? Yeah. I mean, I feel like everything's going to be shut down until start of next year, to be honest with you. Oh, and, yeah. And, and think about it. I mean, with everything being shut down, it's going to take a while. When we can get back to normal life, it's going to take a bit. So many businesses have closed. I mean, oh, my God. When I think of all my friends, my Broadway friends, my Broadway community, just like in New York City, yeah, you know, just kind of going out of their minds because, you know, you're in the city. You're not, you don't have a big backyard. You can't take your car, drive somewhere. I mean, for the, mo usually that's how it is. And usually you're it, paying sky high rent too, that now you're not working. So. <laughs> yeah. I just talked to a friend yesterday and he was like, I'm thinking of leaving. Like, yeah. I don't even have a lease. So I don't, I was like, go like, he, you know, he could, he said that he can't, um, has a place to stay in California, stay with family. I was like, if you could be on the beach, go right. Like just even me, I was like, you know, at the beach last weekend and I was like, what a difference, you know, you feel so much better. You're like, Oh, this is nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Puerto Rico like three days ago. That's <laughs> my life. Were you really? Yeah. I swear to God. <laughs> when we were in Austin, we came back and then he went to Puerto Rico like a day later. But Wait. then I was, I was there for like a night and a half and then the governor spoke and said everything's closed by like seven and like spiked everything. It was terrible. Yeah. I, I left earlier, left Saturday well, morning. At least, you, at least you got to go to Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It was a great experience, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I finished West Side Story. Again, once we heard the show was closing, started auditioning, I booked another, like it was an original Broadway musical called Wonderland. That was great. Closed after a month. Did a bunch of other things. Um, booked another show called Chaplin, which played on Broadway, and that was during Hurricane Sandy, which was crazy. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were supposed to be running for like months and months after that. And then after six, after, it was only like six months, they're like, we have to close. Because, you know, with Sandy, nobody had money to buy a Broadway show ticket. So did that. And then, you know, lo and behold, the uh, Jersey Boys family came back up because the girl uh, playing Mary Delgado, she was actually going on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So they asked me to come cover Mary Delgado. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, this is a dream. My family's all here. Like, they can see me play the role. They are, you know, crazy Frankie Valley fans. And one fateful day, Clint Eastwood was in the audience and we had been hearing rumors that he was doing a, he was going to be directing the movie version of Jersey Boys. I honestly did not think twice about it. I was like, I mean, they're going to hire A-list actors. Marissa Tomei is going to play my role, right? Like didn't even think twice. But then we're backstage one day and people are like, Clint Eastwood's 10 rows back. And I'm like, yeah, ha, ha. and then I go out and I'm like, doing like the dance and I was like oh there's Clint Eastwood <laughs> a legend so that was awesome we met him afterwards he was so nice and then slowly but surely they started calling people in from our show to audition for the film so at this point I was like huh called my agent I was like listen I would love to be in this film I don't care if I'm a tree 
but like just to be a part of this would be amazing. So she's like, I'm on it, we're on it. So now some weeks are going by and now they put out a breakdown for the role of Mary Delgado. So a breakdown, if you don't know, it's just basically a description being like, you know, sassy, a girl from Jersey, uh, first wife of Frankie Valley, sassy, funny, blah, blah, right? Like the description of the, of the character. Mm -hmm. And I'm not getting called in. And I'm like, now wait a second. I have, there are other girls getting called in who are, you know, five, nine and blonde. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. So if that's the breakdown, I'm currently playing the role on Broadway why am I not at least getting an audition? So I call my agent. She's like, Renee, I don't know why they won't see you. Like, I sent them more materials of you. Like, they said they'll only see you as one of the angels. And the angels sing my boyfriend's back. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, of all roles in the world, if I'm ever going to fit into one, it's this. <laughs> so at this point, I'm like, what am I gonna do, right? Like I've tried everything, well, what, what can I do? So I like threw my hands up, I was like, I'm going to the audition. I'll freaking audition for an angel. In the audition room, talking to the casting director and we're talking about how I'm really from Jersey and all of that stuff. And then he's like, so do you want to sing the song or read the scene first? And I look at him and I go, you know, Jeff, I gotta be honest with you. I was really hoping to come in and read for the role of Mary Delgado. And he looks at me and he's like, I was just thinking the same thing. And I'm like, amazing. Okay, great, awesome. And he's like, okay, so you could do the angel stuff, sing the song, do the scene. And do you want to come back another day to audition for Mary? I was like, nope, I'm doing it today. I am not leaving this building until I audition. So I did the angel stuff, took some time in the hallway, went through the scenes, came back, auditioned for the role, felt so great about it. But the truth is I felt so great because I had the opportunity, like that's all I wanted. The opportunity to, uh, to do those scenes for Clint Eastwood who was gonna be watching these videos because this was such a, a role for me that's so close to my heart. So I just was, I felt so proud that I opened up my big trap in the room, right? Such a testament, this is why I'm now a communication coach. It's hey, such a up. testament. I'm sorry. I said you spoke up. Some people are scared to speak up. That's it, exactly, you know, and that's, that's the thing is we overlook the power of communication sometimes because we're so fearful. We're people, so afraid people, to speak up. People are afraid to just even ask for help, anything. Yeah. You know, the worst anyone could say is no to anything. A hundred percent. And that's how I felt. And for me, I just, you know, I felt it in my gut. I was like, I need to do this. Like if I, do, if I don't do this, I will be kicking myself for the rest of my life. And I think, I feel like that's the biggest lesson is for, for all of you out there who always hold back and you're scared to speak up in your relationships or you're scared to ask for help. Think always about the alternative. When you don't, mm -hmm. most of the time you regret it, right? Then you waste time thinking about it. You waste time energy talking about what you didn't do. It's like, just do it. Even with the fear, courage is encouraged without fear. So you might as well just do it. And that's what I did and felt great. Go back to, you know, doing my eight shows a week on Broadway. And two weeks later, I was um, at my childhood home in Linden, down the street from Rawway Prison, where Jersey Boys takes place. And we were leaving. It was my mom, my dad, and my grandmother. My grandmother lived with us my whole life. We were leaving to go to my brother's wedding. 
and my agent calls and I go in my little childhood bedroom and I pick up the phone and she's like, you're Mary Delgado in the movie. Clint Eastwood loved you. And I was like, what? Like literally screaming, hysterically crying. I run out of the bedroom and my, my mom's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm going to be in a movie. <laughs> She's like, huh? My dad's, my dad's like, oh my God, oh my God, crying. My grandmother, who's 92 at this point. She's like, no, 91. She's like, oh. I've been praying for this for years, <laughs> like in a wheelchair. And I'm like, oh my God. It's different so, when grandma speaks up. Yeah, of course, of course. So uh, that was, I, I left, I started filming like a month or so after, like it was pretty quick. So when was the first time you came face to face with Clint Eastwood? Yes, he so, as badass as he <laughs> Honestly, He's more badass. <laughs> like, oh, I'll tell you. Let me tell you. I, I find that hard to believe. But. He he is so badass that I can't even fully express it to you in words. And the reason why is because, let's all face it, he's a legend, right? Mm -hmm. But you would never know it because he is so down to earth, so genuine, no ego. And I love seeing that, especially in Hollywood where there's a lot of ego there's a lot of, you know, who do you think you are talking to me? And he was so beautifully collaborative and open. He's the, he's the best. So I get to, I'm in California now. Mm -hmm. Now I have never set foot on a film set before. I never did TV, never did film. I have only performed on Broadway, two completely different mediums. But again, it was kind of like my Broadway debut where I was like in my way um, to set and I was just like, all right, God, here we go. Like, it's like jumping off of a cliff. And I was like, Renee, you got hired for this. Like, you know what to do. And I just had to trust myself. And as soon as I walked through the door, Clint comes up to me and he's like, you know, I went around to all the different casts, but nobody was in your class. And then you came in and put yourself on tape and it was the icing on the cake. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Was he the first person to speak to when you walked in? It was no. So his team, he uses the same team of people. Mm -hmm. um, his head cameraman, Steve Campanelli, all these, these slew of beautiful people that as soon as I walked in, it felt like family. They were like, Renee, welcome. And you know, I'm like such a family oriented person. So immediately I felt comfortable, which was so nice. So I'm talking to some of the crew members and then he walks up. And I was like, oh my God. Like I had to hold back the tears when he said that to me. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> you can say shit. It's okay. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm an, like, I'm filming a movie for, and Clint Eastwood's directing me. Like what is happening? So it was amazing. The first day we, we do the first scene where if you've seen the film, you know, I'm kind of leaning on the bar and Frankie and I first lock eyes. And after we finished filming, it's time for lunch. And him and I have lunch together. We would eat lunch together every time I filmed. And I would pick his brain like a sponge. Like, Wait, you would eat lunch with Clint Eastwood every day? Every day. Every time I filmed. He is, this is what I'm saying. Like, he is the most wonderful, grounded person that I just, he became like a mentor to me. So we'd be eating, I'd be like, Clint, how did you start acting? Clint, what was it like when you did Westerns? Clint, what about this? What about that? What does this mean when you say Mary's POV? What does that mean when you're filming? Like a million questions. And we would just have the best time. He would tease me because 
I love eating, like eating is my number one passion. So we, you know, when you do a film, man, they have catering. It's like, no, you could have salmon, steak. I mean, the, the food is endless. So I was like, this is heaven. And what is Christmas, your favorite food? Oh, if I had to say like one food, if I had to eat for the rest of my life, ravioli. Ravioli, wow. Lobster ravioli, preferably. Um, so yeah, so we would eat lunch. It was the most incredible experience of my life. He, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Christopher Walken's in the film as I was well. Just, I was just going to ask you about your interactions with him too. Yeah. So the first day he's on set, again, it's Clint is sitting across from me. Christopher Walken walks up, sits next to me on my left side. And I'm like, what is my life right now? What is happening? And Christopher Walken's asking me about Broadway. He's like, so what's it like, Baba? I'm talking to him. We're, we're chatting about it. And I'm like, so he walks away. Now, I don't know if you guys saw the SNL skit, Can I More Cowbell? Yes, yes. Okay, well, look it up after this if you have not seen it. More Cowbell. Oh, More yeah, cowbell yeah, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Um, It's him. It's um, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. The yeah. other guy from uh, yeah. that movie. <laughs> what's his name? Roxbury. That's Night it. Night at the Roxbury. So he leaves, right? Uh, Christopher Walken gets up to leave and Clint looks at me. He's like, so I think he's going to be good in this, right? And I'm like, yes, Clint. I think, <laughs> I think your choice was great. Like, are you asking me? And then he's like, I said, so listen, when you film with him, you got to say, hey, can I have more cowbell? He said, oh, don't worry. <laughs> and the guys told me, because I wasn't there filming that day, when they filmed this scene with him, they yell cut. Everyone's like, all right, great, go home. And then Clint stops, Christopher Walken. He's like, hey, hey, Chris, come here a second, come here. So that, that last take was good, but uh, could, you, could you give me a little more cowbell? <laughs> <laughs> I literally, Christopher Walken just looked at him and he was like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah it was it was like it was more than i could have dreamed of honestly and like, when I, got, so I know i know the main like the main guys weren't like too too popular but then you had some other guys like in support like i know steve shariba was on there for a small role was mm -hmm. he on set whenever you were on set no nope that's what's weird like the di biggest difference about you know broadway and and film and TV, like Broadway is such a community. You guys are always together. Even if you're not on stage together, you're backstage, you're in the dressing rooms where with a film, like I wouldn't see these people sometimes ever. Like mm. some of the people that we filmed with, like um, what's his name from Mike and Molly? I, I know what you're talking about, uh, hold on. I, uh, I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. So he, well, anyway, he's in the film, but I didn't, we didn't film together. So I, I go to see the movie and I'm like, Billy oh my Car God. Billy Cardell, that's his name. Yes, Billy Cardell. Yep. I was like, Billy Cardell's in this. <laughs> but it was nice because at the end of Jersey Boys, we have a huge dance scene. And that was one of the best nights of filming because literally we were there. I was there, Christopher Walken, everyone. And we are all dancing and we just had the best time. We were filming till like 1 a.m on the Warner Brothers lot. It was just so special because we were all there together. Mm. So that was cool, but that doesn't always happen. So did you ever get a chance to meet Steve Sharifa? Because we had him on the show before. No, I didn't. Yeah, he's a nice guy. And then I know uh, the, what's her name from Sopranos too? Kath, uh, Kath Narducci, yeah. Dude, Narducci. Yes, she's amazing. She yeah. was just in um, The Irishman as well. Yeah. yeah. Joe Pesci's wife. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, so filmed that um, best time of my life. And then that was in 2013. The day after I got home, my 
now husband proposed to me, which was awesome. It was very special. He had the, he bought the ring before I ever booked the movie. And then I booked the movie and he's like, I can't propose now. I don't want to take the attention away from what she's doing. So like my family all knew. So then he proposed like two months later. Then we decided, we're like, you know what? Let's move to LA. Like the film's going to come out next year. I've always wanted to try LA audition out there. So let's do it. So in January of 14, we moved out there. The film was released that year and I got married that year. So it was an awesome year, 2014. Mm -hmm. And it was just surreal, you know, like the night of the premiere, walking the red carpet. It was just all so special. Never took one second for granted. And then, yeah, spent three and a half years in Cali. And then we moved back in 2017. And right when I moved back, I uh, went to a couple of auditions and I booked Pretty Woman, the musical, which was just on Broadway. They had their final workshop and then I did that. And then Jerry Mitchell, the director asked if I would continue on to Broadway and also be the dance captain in addition to being in the show every day and also assistant to the choreographer, which was him. That's cool. So yeah, that- When, that, you, went out, when you went out to LA, did you, what, what other things did you audition for? Oh my God, I auditioned for so many things. I booked actually my first TV show out there, which was awesome. It would have been, I was, it was a recurring role. Um, I was uh, Zachary Knighton. He played, oh God, he's done tons of stuff, but I played like his baby mama. Mm -hmm. So like it was, a, it was a recurring role. It was the um, producers of, it was called Weird Loners. It was a brand new pilot. So it only lasted eight episodes, mm -hmm. which sucked. You mm -hmm. know, that's the thing in, in this field, in this career, you could be high, high, high. And then the next day they're like, nope, that show got canceled what, or that Broadway were, show got canceled. What were some of the differences that you liked and didn't like about being like, like you said, on set versus um, like live performances? Yeah. Live I, performances are tough. I feel like I would shit my pants going. It's literally uh, not, there's nothing harder than Broadway. Yeah. Like, and I didn't ever realize that until Pretty Woman, which I did last year, mm -hmm. because I'm now in like, a completely different lifestyle, right? I'm married, I own a house, we have a dog. I live in Colonia, New Jersey, which is like, it would take me door to door. I would take the train an hour and 15 minutes from my place of work, right? On and off the train, up and down the subway stairs, bags on my back, eight shows a week, dancing in heels. Like there's nothing harder than that. So that of course, you just feel such a rush. Cause you're like, you know what? The show must go on. Like no matter what happens, you gotta keep going. Mm -hmm. But with film and TV, it's to me, it's just a pure luxury. Like when I had my own trailer and I had people bringing me coffee and like being catered, like cake on set, steak, salmon, like I said mm -hmm. before, like I was like, hold on. If, if I was a film or TV star, I don't know if I'd say, oh, let me try Broadway, right? Because let me tell you, when you're working on Broadway, nobody's giving you some catering. You better go to 42nd Street and get yourself a bagel. <laughs> nobody's doing your makeup, right? Like you do everything yourself. We, so, uh, we, had, that, uh, we had Bill Duke on for an episode and he was, and he was saying that like, he's like, I'm telling you, if you want to learn how to act, he's like, go do like live performances. He's like, I promise you, you'll fuck up one time and you'll, <laughs> you'll learn your lesson. Like he's like, he said it's the hardest thing to do, which I can imagine. I, I could never do that. So what would you say is your favorite memory, like on set or in a role? Uh, oh, God, there were so many. Okay, this one. So I, okay, well, there's two. I have to give you two. 
So we were filming the pizza scene. So now you have to go and watch the movie if you haven't seen it. It's on Netflix. So Frankie and I go on our first date and we're at a pizza place. And Clint, we, we do the take once. Now that's the thing with Clint, he's fast. Like he doesn't do 50 takes. He's like, he's just so efficient and he knows because he was an actor before a director, he knows that sometimes actors overthink shit. So he's like, I'm gonna film, I'm gonna get it on the first take. Sometimes he even has the camera rolling before yelling, like, we're gonna go. Because mm-hmm. he's smart. He's like, the pressure's off for them right now. So they may do some good work. So anyway, we go through this scene one time and he comes up to me and he goes, you know, when you say that line, you remind me of Veronica Lake. She was a big movie star back in the day. And I was like, thank you. So do you want, do you want me to do it like that? Or you want me to, he's like, no, just wanted you to know. And walks away. <laughs> like, like, he's just so funny. I mean, we would dance on set sometimes. Like he was just the best. And I did, his daughter told me, which this was so special. His daughter, Francesca, who was in the film as well. Beautiful girl. She said, when I was filming, he told her, if you want to learn some good acting, go watch Renee. And I was like, your father? I was like, your father, Clint Eastwood, told you that? (laughs) Crazy. It was amazing. But yeah, so that was cool. And then when we were filming the breakup scene, intense scene, I'm like walking up the stairs, Frankie's following me, I'm drunk and I'm like, you show up for a couple of days and you think that makes you a father and blah, blah, blah. We do it once and he's like, all right, now I want you to really give it to him. And I'm like, okay, all right. So we go back and I'm like, you show up for a couple of days and you think that makes you a father. And I start screaming because I just forget my lines. But then like, I do that for a second and then pick it back up. And he yells cut and he's like, that was it. And I go, I forgot my lines. And he goes, I don't care. It was real and it was raw. And that's when I love it. He goes, when I was filming with Meryl, I'm like, you mean Meryl Streep? (laughs) Um, Keep going. Yes. He's like, she used to love to do a million takes. And I finally taught her just do it the first time. And it doesn't matter if you mess up. And I was like, Oh my God. That's so crazy. It was just so cool. My name's, what'd you say? That's so cool. It was amazing. It was like, like, that's what I mean. It was so surreal, like just so, so surreal. And when we, so the guys, you know, the four seasons and everything, they were still filming when I was already done. So I wrapped, I flew back home, but they came, they all flew to Jersey to do the last few scenes in New Jersey. So my husband and I, at the time, we went to see them on set and Clint, we, I was like, they call him the boss. I was like, where's the boss? And he was like, they were like, oh, he's in that bar. They closed down a street in, in Bloom, Bloomfield, I think. They closed down the streets and he was sitting in the bar, just chilling. And I, <laughs> I opened the door, he's in his puffy coat and I go, hey boss. Think you could buy me a drink? And he's like, he turns around like real in his Clint Eastwood way. And he's like, I think I could do that. (laughs) So me and my husband and Clint Eastwood and his friend literally had a beer. (laughs) And he like congratulated me because I just got engaged. And then we all went to the Belmont Tavern. 
and we celebrated. That was our closing night party. And we just, we just sat and ate and laughed all night. It was Clint, myself, and my husband sitting across from him. And then like, you know, a bunch of the cast and crew. And it was, was just- your husband, Was your husband like starstruck? Was he like- Holy Oh my God. God. <laughs> Literally my husband, Mike, was like sitting across from him. And he was like, so uh, Clint, like, just like, he's like, you know, Gran Torino is my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was it was an experience that I will never forget. And I just feel like every time I think of it, I just feel such gratitude for that because it doesn't get any better than that. And even all the makeup hair and makeup girls, they would they told me right away they're like, Renee, just so you know, like you're starting at the top. Like it's not always like this. Like he is one of a kind, his team is one of a kind. So I feel very grateful. I, I have so I have two two part question for you. If that because I don't know what your future plans are. If you ever were to like, are plan on trying to go act in movies again? If you had never did again, would you be content with that being your only? A hundred percent. Yeah, like, like honestly, like, I would listen. If if a, an incredible movie came along that was an incredible role, and absolutely, that'd be so great to do. But like this, it, it really feels like I don't know, man. I got I, I had kind of like the top echelon of like experiences like that. That's insane because it was, you know what, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just the fact that I did a feature film. It wasn't just the fact that it was on the Warner Brothers lot in, in like Los Angeles, California. It wasn't the fact that I got to play this amazing role, but it was the fact that for me, it combined home and where I come from with my artistry mm -hmm. and then tie in working with a legend with that. It was just like, Holy moly. You know gonna, what I'm saying? I was, I, was gonna, I was just gonna say the fact that it was Jersey Boys, that means something more, which obviously- no. Of course. Oh my, like it meant everything because again, it was like how lucky to be able to really bring so much of myself to that. You know, as actors, there's always, you're always a certain type, right? Until you get to the point where you are a Meryl Streep and then you pick what roles you want. But in the beginning stages, everyone kind of has to fit into their box. And for me to have this role that is so kind of perfectly aligned with my type, mm -hmm. so to speak, was just, I just felt like everything was meant to be. Yeah. And you know, I, I always say like, what's meant for you will not miss you. Mm -hmm. And that's what it felt like in this situation. Oh, you guys, I missed the best part of the story. So uh, <laughs> wait, this is, this is like the whole premise of now, like being a communication coach. So sitting eating lunch one day again it's clint myself and the executive producer and they're talking about how clint knew he wanted me for the role back when he saw me on broadway and i go do you guys want to hear a funny story i didn't have an appointment for the role of mary they're like what do you mean we requested you and i said did ya well the only reason i got to audition is because i opened up my big trap in the room and then auditioned and they were like what? Like Clint wanted you from when he saw you on Broadway. So come to find out there was just some middleman casting associate who dropped the ball and was, you know, casting a few different wow. films at once and just didn't call me in. And I love this freaking story. Do you think maybe he was like colluding? Maybe he had someone who was trying to get the role. You know what? Who knows? You never know, right? You, you never know. But guess what? I solidified essentially my own future because I communicated. That's, that's like literally what got me to do 
up until now the greatest role of my life. The fact that I had the confidence to open up my mouth in the room and speak about what I wanted. And the truth is that casting director could have said no, but at least I knew that I tried, right? You gave it, you gave it all you had. I tried, I left no stone left unturned. And the fact that at the end of it all, they were like, wait, you were supposed to be that role anyway, is crazy. Like, because if I, if I didn't, open up my mouth in the room. That's what I'm saying. Some other girl could have easily walked in, got the role, and then I'd be sitting on my couch watching the movie being like, oh my God, like I can't believe I didn't even have an opportunity to audition for that role when I was playing it on Broadway. So I just love that story so much because again, for those out there who are aspiring to be performers, just remember like you have to follow your gut with things like your gut never steers you wrong and no one's going to work harder for you than yourself. And as scary as it may be to open up your mouth, sometimes this is in personal life. This is in business, in the corporate world, whatever it may be like you have to open up your mouth sometimes. And as scary as it is, the alternative is so much worse. Wasted time to me is the absolute worst because time is the only thing we can't get back, you know? So if you're in a, you know, in a relationship, And you know, this girl just wants to hear you say, I love you. And you just can't say it for some reason. And then you know what? She leaves, marries someone else. You sit there being like, oh my God, that was the one. Why couldn't I just get the courage up to open up my mouth, say what needed to be said. Oh, you feeling that? Yeah, you feeling that, my spot. (laughs) I'm telling you, Evan. It's time. It's time to just take that plunge. You're about to make us start crying, you know. So do you still keep in touch with Clint? Yes, I just saw him. I was in California in this past February. I was performing out there actually with John Lloyd Young, who played my Frankie Valley. And I went to the Warner Brothers lot. I always reach out to them. And um, Tim Moore, who's amazing, producer, amazing producer, one of the producers of our film, uh, executive producer, actually. He, he was like, come have lunch. So I had lunch on the lot and Clint happened to be there that day. So we went to his office and I sat with him for two hours. We chatted, you know, we we shot the shit, if you will. And like, it was, he had blueberries. We ate blueberries. Like, he's just awesome. I was talking to him about actually, you know, I'm in the process of writing a book about communication and how, you know, many of us are lacking that skill nowadays because we're all attached to our phones and our technology. And he's like, oh, this is good. And I was like, Clint, I'm going to send you a copy. Don't you worry. (laughs) So he's a big blueberry guy? He loves blueberries, yep. (laughs) He was eating a sandwich before that. Then he brought out the blueberries. That's awesome. I'm going to try to find him one day and bring some blueberries. (laughs) Talk to us us about the coaching thing now, like what what you're up to now. Yeah. So um, Pretty Woman, which was the last Broadway show I did, closed in August. And then from there, I performed my one woman show that I wrote and performed out in LA, performed it in New York Mm -hmm. for the first time. It was amazing. And then I was like, okay, what's next? Uh, It's funny I'm saying what's next because on Instagram, I, you know, have this kind of theme going like what's next Wednesdays, you know, where I kind of just invite my followers to be like, what's next for you, right? Like what's that next step? So anyway... I knew that I wanted to do something with communication because communication is just something that I'm so passionate about. Hence why I've been writing a book. 
And I was like, I know I want to do something in that area, maybe with coaching, but like, I don't know what, I don't know how. And then I, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi, if you know those guys. And they have this course called the Knowledge Broker Blueprint. And my husband and I were on vacation in Mexico. They did a live video talking about it. And at the end of the video, my husband's like, this is it. Like, this is the missing piece of what you need to do. Because I was saying, I know I want to do something with communication, with coaching, but I don't know the first thing of how to structure a business. And boom, KBB, that's the course, comes into my life. So I took the course, started it March 6th during quarantine, like it was perfect timing because I just got to like really just immerse myself in it. Six weeks it took me to do the course. And at the end of that six weeks, I just started hustling. Like I all of a sudden had this business, I was coaching clients and then, you know, kind of amazing things have been happening from there. Dean Graziosi um, actually interviewed me on, he had this, uh, it was called the start over challenge. And it was like a week challenge. And every day we'd have to go live on Facebook, like videos and talk about whatever the topic was, right? Like what are your limiting beliefs or, you know, what is the next step in your life? And you'd have to talk about it. So each day they would pick like three videos that stood out. So I got picked on the second day. I won like an iPhone 11. I was like, this is amazing. And then on the last day, he wanted, he, picked two people to interview. So the night before I get a message from his team and they're like, Renee, could you send us a video about your story? Dean wants to go live. Cause he would teach us live, you know, on Facebook live. He wants to go live with two people on zoom. And he picked me as one. And I talked to him about my story, about the Clint Eastwood story, how I came to be a communication coach. And at the end of it, he, um, I had contacted him before that to be like, listen, you tell us to take massive action, right? Well, I think you should have me as a guest on your podcast. So at the end of the interview, he's like, so Renee, somehow I saw your DMs, you know, on, on my Instagram, which is crazy. Cause I mean, he has a million followers, you know, he's, he's like, how is he seeing my messages? And he's like, so I just want to tell you, I will have you as a guest on my podcast. And I was like, Oh my God. So that was amazing. We did, we, we inter did that interview uh, a few weeks ago. And then Tony Robbins had a, uh, another similar challenge. It was called the comeback challenge. And that was two weeks ago and same type of thing. You know, every day we go on video and, you know, tell our story or whatever, whatever the homework was. And again, um, you know, I got picked one of the days in my videos. And then at the end of the whole challenge, it was 300,000 people. They picked, they were like, and there's a grand prize winner. You know, this girl showed up every day, committed, you know, lit people up every day in the, in the Facebook. Cause we had, you know, we were all part of this Facebook group and, you know, she, so Tony Robbins, I don't know if you're, you guys know of him, but he does like these incantations, right? Like every day in every way I'm getting stronger and stronger, right? Like every day in every way I'm getting more powerful. So he calls those incantations. So I would, I explained in one of my videos that I like to sing the incantations cause I'm a singer. So I'm like every day in every way I am getting stronger. And I would like sing them in the group. And then all, so many members would like sing them with me. It was amazing. Awesome. So at the end of this challenge, they're like, and this girl sang her incantations and you know, Tony is personally inviting her to his resort um, on the island of Fiji. And I won the whole thing. 
And I was like, oh my God. Oh, it's amazing. You know, I you live the coolest life of all time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, thank you. But you know what though? I, I work my ass off. I will say yeah. that, you know. No, I, I'm, I'm not saying you're lucky. I'm like, you work, yeah. you work hard for it. I'm just saying you live the yeah. coolest life. No, it is. And trust me, I don't take one second of it for granted. You know, I feel like that that's the key to everything in life is gratitude. Like, and not just gratitude for like these big moments, but it starts small, right? It's literally, okay, I'm grateful we're in quarantine, but thank God I have a house to live in. Like, it sounds cliche, but it's really not. And that's so much what Tony Robbins teaches. Like, it's gratitude. Gratitude is literally the antidote to any negative emotion, fear, anger, rage. Like, you find something to be grateful for, and you will snap yourself out of it. So, yeah, I'm so, so honored that he picked me for that. Um, and yeah, it, for me, it's just an honor because I'm such a fan and and um, follower of Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi. I mean, the two of them, they're like best friends. They're kind of like a team. So the fact that, you know, I now feel as if I have a, a small relationship with, with that, with that world makes me so happy because it's like, you know what? I'm on the right path. Yeah. Like, this is where I'm meant to be. That's how uh, I've talked about in prior episodes, but that's how I felt when I started working for now do you know who gary vaynerchuk is yes i do i work for one of his companies uh in new york so and i like i like love him like even before i, I started working for him he was like i looked up to him he's the reason i quit my first job because i'm fucking miserable and he was like the whole reason wow um, i love it, him i love yeah, him it ended up he followed me on instagram like he read my dm he followed me back we were DMing back and forth and then like i started working there a couple months later then i had a meeting with him and that's why we started the podcast and so went down like yeah like because of him so, so. so you know it that's so similar right you took like i feel like what's so similar is we both just took the action like mm -hmm. i call it in my coaching I, I call it taking imperfect action yeah oftentimes right we think like everything we have to do it perfect so yeah. like i'm not going to reach out to gary until it's perfect and, and it's like no just do it right it's not about being perfect it's about just taking that step you might never even have it. the opportunity to do it so you might as well take a shot you never know. absolutely what do you still like, do? that's like this podcast where you talk about it and gary talks about it too all the time it's like you try and do something it's gonna suck you're gonna suck in the beginning no matter what you hear our first episode oh to God, now terrible. and it sounds like night and day <laughs> that's only 15 episodes ago you know what i mean like yeah. you know it's gonna consistently get better in a year from now we're gonna hear this episode probably like wow we could do this this and that's much better but that's just part of the process of learning. So we said the hardest part is just doing it. Yeah. And we self-taught ourselves like a lot. Always. And you guys like kudos to you because you're, you're doing it. You're doing the exact thing that I did. And even with my coaching, right? I mean, I've been a professional actor for over 16 years and now I'm like, you know what? Chapter change. I'm a communication coach, right? Like com completely, I mean, similar in some ways, but as far as the lifestyle, completely different. Like a year ago, you wouldn't have seen me right now because I would literally be dancing. What is today? Wednesday. I would have would have had two shows. Yeah. I would have been, you know, uh, what time is it? 820. We just started 20 minutes ago, our second show. So now it's like I'm in this new world and I love it so much. And I just keep kind of putting myself out there and taking the next step. I just taught my first course. It was amazing. It was called Communication on Camera, helping people to do videos, you know, do live videos, do standard videos because that's how we're all communicating in the world, right? More than anything. It's like, if you can't properly express yourself through video, you're gonna have a problem because that's where the world is and where it's going to continue to, to grow to. So I just taught that course. I had 22 people, which was amazing. And again, 
you know, doing a course, creating keynote slides. I'm like, I've never done this. What the hell is a keynote slide? That's, <laughs> but that's, I did the best it. Way, that's the best way to learn too, right? That's it. That's it. And you know what? In the course I took that Tony and Dean taught, what I loved about it is like, make the mistakes, right? That's what they teach. Make the mistakes. Just do it. It's like you're only going to learn by doing. And so often we all get caught up in our own mentality, that own that little voice that's like, you can't do this. You, you think you could start a podcast, Evan? Alex, you think you could start a podcast? Who do you think you are, right? I'm sure those voices came in, but you're like, nah, screw it. I'm going to try. And then you learn as you go. So I think it's, I, I really commend you guys. It's so great. Appreciate that. That's pretty much what happened. All our friends like chirping our ear. Experience sure. is the best teacher. Well, my question for you is, um, are you looking to balance the communications coach with the acting? Yeah, do you, I was going to ask that too. At some point down the line, do you ever see yourself going back that route? You know, who knows? Like, you know, that's always, listen, a, at, at my core, I'm always a, a performer, right? I'm an artist. And I feel like that's what makes me good at my new endeavor, right? I mean, I've been communicating clearly my whole life as a dancer communicating through my body as a singer communicating through my voice right like so it's funny because it really is all tied in i mean we are all communicating on a daily basis whether we're conscious of it or not whether we're even speaking or not because our body language shows so much so would i ever go back and do a film i mean absolutely but right now this is my focus mm -hmm. and i'll always just continually follow the path and the path could kind of go like this or could go like this. But again, I feel like it's just about taking each day, doing your best each day. And listen, if, you know, Clint comes calling again, I'm there. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm just, I'm loving what I'm doing. And it's so special to, you know, be touching the lives of, of so many people who really need help in this area. And like I said, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to businesses, helping them coach their clients, right? And their employees with how to communicate better. I mean, in, in the workplace, oof, we all know how detrimental it is if no one's communicating properly and we're all just emailing each other. And guess what? Emails get lost sometimes. And then, you know, someone may think that you're inadequate and you're like, no, I sent you the email. Oh no, it went to spam, right? We can't always rely on that. So I love what I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's awesome. So what would your best relationship advice be? <laughs> it's, you have to just own up to who, number one, okay, I'm, you, you're, you may, you're gonna laugh maybe, but you shouldn't when I say this. If you wanna be a com amazing communicator, you have to first have good communication within yourself. And you may think that sounds like, oh, whatever. I'm dead serious because when you are so honest with yourself, when you like sit down with yourself and say like, what the hell do I really want? Right? Like, uh, uh, you know, in a relationship. I think, I think what I want is a very long list of things. That's okay. <laughs> you know what though? But here's the deal. Write those things down. Be as specific as you possibly can. That's like kind of what a vision board is, right? I mean, be specific, no joke. You know, the kind of woman you want, uh, you know, what you want it, you guys want to travel, you want to do this, whatever it is, write it down. And then every day, think on that. And then come back again to yourself and say, okay, so this is the kind of woman I want, or man I want, or whatever. Who do I have to be in order to attract that? Because let's face it, you, you can't want to attract this amazing, 
smart, strong woman. And then you're somebody who's like kind of lazy. You don't really want to work hard and you like just want everything handed to you. Guess what? You're not aligning with what you want. So, so you, that's are, you, are you a big believer in the law of attraction? A hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Okay. What are your like, thoughts on dating platforms? <laughs> I mean, the way it, of the world now. <laughs> it's the way of the world. And that, again, right. <laughs> like, this is all I can say. Always go back to how can I be as authentic as possible? And I mean this, like for all of you listening, for you too, don't be putting pictures of yourself up that are from, you know, 1985 <laughs> where you were ripped and shredded. And now, you know, it's how many years later, you know what I'm saying? This is the problem. There's, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm pretty straightforward. I'm, yeah. straight, I'm straightforward with girls, honestly, to the point where I think it's a problem. Like, I think, like, I actually might think I'm a little too straightforward. Well, if, if that's how you feel, the best advice I can give you, and this is no matter what kind of personality type you are, first and foremost, listen. Like, when you listen, and when you listen to actually hear and not just to respond, like, yeah. actually listen, when someone's talking to you, whether it be, like, a potential, you know, girlfriend or girl someone you want to date listen to them like let them speak ask questions and and be genuinely interested in what they're saying because what I even when I used to you know be in a dating scene not even just dating but just in the workplace mm -hmm. there are so many people who just want to be heard so you'll be talking and they're like yeah, yeah. and then so and anyway so then I did this and you're like whoa Right. Then for me, I'm like, I'm automatically turned off because I'm like, you actually don't really care what I have to say. You just want to, you want to be heard. Right. So that's my biggest thing is listen, don't, don't like go within your like ego self and be like, all right, so do I look good? Like, you know, what is she going to think? No, no, let that go. Listen to what he or she has to say and then come from a place of your authenticity because nothing is worse than like some guy or girl putting on the front. And if you're, if you're a person who's completely real and genuine, you will spot that immediately. I agree. So that's I, actually, I think that stems even past relationships. It stems into the workplace. It stems into everything. I feel like, like authenticity is huge. Yeah. It's yeah. everything. It's everything. You know what? Honestly, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. I think personally, like I say, I want to go, but I think I really don't. I think that's, I think deep down. I really Great. Really See, but that, Oh my God, but that's so Evan. That's amazing what you just said, because that, that is everything. You are so in touch with yourself and what you really want that now you could sit back and be like, you know what? I mean, I know I talk the talk, but like, I don't really want a girlfriend. Yeah, and, I, say, I say it's funny, you know? Like, yeah. You know what? I can't wait until tonight when he's laying in bed when he's eating, I can't wait to have a girlfriend. <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking about the I, one day. I'm, I'm hearing about I'm, the one day. When I'm hearing happens. battle cries from my room. In the <laughs> I think about the one day when it happens, you know, not like right in the second. Yeah, but that's good. But I'm serious, you guys. Sit with yourself. Listen, start journaling. I don't care what your what your um like idea is attached to journaling, but everyone needs to do it because it, it because it is the most powerful thing in the world. Because this is the truth. As humans, we have so many millions of thoughts and feelings going on all day long that so much shit gets stored in our subconscious mind that we're not even aware. So like Evan, Evan, you just said, you know, really when I think about it, I don't even think I want a girlfriend, right? But unless you really like analyzed yourself and, and kind of thought about that for a while, you wouldn't realize that because 
our subconscious mind is like a sponge. It just stores things. So sometimes it's like when you get pissed off, right? It's like a friend will come up to you and they'll be like, hey, and you're like, what's up? Like, what? And they're like, whoa, what's your problem? You're like, nothing, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then like, you actually are confused because you're like, why am I acting like that? Like, what the hell's wrong with me? You don't know because it's probably subconsciously, you're still pissed at, you know, your, your sister from yesterday because she said something, something to you to piss you off, but you kind of weren't aware of it until you really thought about it and wrote it down. And then you looked at it and you're like, oh, that's why I'm pissed off. Like we all do it. And that's why it's so, I think, imperative to write because writing is just like, it's like directly from your subconscious mind to the page. And when you let yourself just write, like I tell my clients, when you get up in the morning, take literally, it just has to be five minutes and ask yourself, how am I feeling? That's it. Set the timer and just let yourself write, like write whatever, stream of consciousness. And what's so cool is sometimes what'll happen, you'll look back at it and you'll be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize I even felt that, right? Because again, we're just in our conscious minds all day and we're not thinking all the time about how we really feel deep within. But then when you write it down, you're like, all of a sudden the truth is revealed. And that puts you in a great foundation to then be able to communicate effectively in your life with others. Or even like speaking to someone, I'll usually go to my brother, but like if I don't go to my brother and talk about it, all those thoughts will be rambling in my head and I'll get like pissed at him from like something <laughs> from exactly. what I was mad about before. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, listen, even, you know, if you're in a marriage out there, you, you know how it is. Sometimes you're just like, like frustrated with your husband or wife and, and they'll be like, what's your problem? Like, I just bought you flowers. What are you pissed about? And it, it's, it could be something that happened 10 days prior that you didn't address yeah. communicators. You didn't address it. So then what happens is you stack it. So like, you're really pissed about that, but then, you know, they forgot to bring you coffee. Then they didn't clean the room. Then they didn't do this. And then all of a sudden one day you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. and, and that's what, that's what happens. So that's why it's like, Tony, Tony Robbins says, kill the giant when it's small, right? If you're in an argument or you, you and your friend are like kind of having a, a disagreement, deal with it then. Like deal with the giant when it's smaller because if you don't deal with it then, it just gets bigger and then it just causes more problems. Yeah. So is that something you learned through Tony or your experience of waking I mean, up and like writing? Yeah. My experience, absolutely my experience. You know, in my own life with friends and family, I have always, you know, listen, we all are, are not perfect. I've made mistakes, but I've seen throughout my life, wow, things can really escalate quickly when you don't address something. I have a lot of friends who are very, I, you know, I hate this phrase so much. I'm not confrontational. And what I write about in my book is communication does not mean confrontation. So like, just because I am, if, if you and I are in, in an argument, right, and I decide to address it and I say, okay, listen, Alex, I'm, I'm, I'm really frustrated by what you said to me. Like, I know you didn't mean it, but I just need to make you realize that what you said hurt my feelings. And then now you have a chance to come back and be like, whoa, Renee, I, I actually didn't even mean that. So I'm sorry. Like when I said that, it didn't come from a negative place. Oh, thank you, Alex. I appreciate that. Cool. 
all right, done, right? That's it. That's all it has to be. So when I see people chicken out from um, speaking their mind in their relationships or opening up about their feelings, I want to just shake them and be like, no, the confrontation and communication are two separate things. So whoever started that um, myth needs to needs to cut it off because it's not true. So that's something I'd like everyone to remember next time, you know, you want to say something and you know that you're feeling it in your heart and like you kind of have a pit in your stomach because you just need to say this thing. Remind yourself, not saying it is going to cause you so much more pain. Uh, I just feel like I sat in some therapy. <laughs> some people are like an open door and some people are such like a closed door. So both of those collide and it's like still a tough, tough thing. Exactly. This is why I'm writing a book about it, my friends. I wish like everyone was just like the same. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's the problem is we are all different. Yeah. So we can't assume, you know, when we, it's, it's a silly saying, but like when you assume you make an ass out of you and me and we really make asses out of ourselves when we're assuming things because... I am completely different from you. We have all grown up in different circumstances. We're different people, different races, different cultures. So I shall not pretend to know what you've gone through in your life and where you're coming from unless I ask you, right? And I understand like communication in the form of like speaking up with your words is scary to people sometimes. But again, always go back to what is the alternative? Like how many relationships have, have ended because of bad communication? How many, you know, I have friends who um, like their, you know, their uh, moms haven't talked to their sisters in 30 years. And it was all because of a stupid argument that was never handled. Like it's like life is short, right? Like life is too short, I think, to not just address it. And at that point, if you address it and then you guys still decide to go your separate ways, cool. So be it. But at least you tried. Just like I tried with the film, I opened my mouth, said, this is what I want to audition for. I gave it a good old try. It's the same in all of our relationships. If you're boss, if you're feeling like, you know what, I got, to, I, I want to share this idea with my boss. I just know that it would just meld so beautifully with his vision, but you're afraid because you're like, oh my God, but that's my boss. Who am I to speak? Who, who am I to give my input? Who are you not to? Your idea may be the one that he's looking for. And you may be denying him the opportunity to like play on this great idea, right? When we, when we don't share ourselves fully, we are denying the world our message. And I think that's why we're all put on this earth is to share our, our authentic messages, right? Not the messages that we put on with our egos. And we're like, yeah, I'm like amazing. I'm so fierce, right? Like that whole idea, like, oh, I can, you know, it's false. I'm talking about coming from an authentic place where you're like, this is, this is me. This is who I am. You know what? I've gone through some things, but it made me stronger. And what happens is when you start sharing that deeply authentic part of yourself, you connect so much more with people because other people are going through pain too. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes we think we have to be like this robot of, of pure joy. And it's like, no, we've all gone through our things. Yeah. I think going through that situation where I quit my job and being unhappy and then kind of finding myself in that the year and then becoming here and then even more so, like, I, I think I learned a lot younger, a lot a lot sooner, earlier in my 20s than most people do. And I think that is an advantage to me that I try 
And like, when we have conversations about it, I try to like, I feel like I see it as the way, like I want to push it to other people. Sometimes I don't know how to communicate that because it's so clear to me. Yeah. Some people don't understand it, but I, I think it's an advantage that I have gotten where I don't fear to ask people for things or ask for favors or help because everyone at some point has to do it. But that's yeah. just like one example. But I'm saying like, I think I've found myself at such a early point in my life and career that I, I like trying something like this, the podcast and stuff that I don't really fear anything like that anymore. That's amazing. And that, and and keep, keep carrying that with you because that's so powerful. That's how you learn. That's how you grow there, You know, it's always funny. Um, Dean Graziosi says they don't make statues of critics. And I love that. Right. Because I'm sure there's so many people in your life that are like, what do you guys think you're doing? <laughs> like you're starting a podcast really. Right. There's always going to be those people who are the naysayers and, but you have to ask yourself, like, are they putting themselves out there? No. Are they trying? We've talked about it with one of our friends who started a blog and it's the most vulnerable thing you can do is put yourself out there for everyone to see your mistakes. And you've in the process of learning how to do things. And it's like, you just can't really give a fuck. What no, yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's very true. And those, I, I feel like those who are meant to be in your life and your support system, they're going to be there. But there will always be those people who have something to say. They don't like the way you talk, the way you look. But that, and I, mean, I feel like that comes back to them. There's, they're feeling unhappiness within themselves. That's why they're projecting it out onto you. Because when you're happy. Life. If, if, if you thought it was that easy, you should try it and, show, and, and see if you can do it. Exactly. They don't. They just critique because there's some sort of something they're unhappiness. It's like unhappiness. Insecurities in themselves. Within themselves. They don't see or they don't know. or It's actually really sad when you think about it. They're living their life that way. When really trying to uplift everyone else around you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so interesting because think about like when you're truly happy, when people are truly happy, they don't want to tear down other people. Mm -hmm. So inevitably, if you are, you know, attacking people or, you know, these several people on the internet, sometimes they just like comment on people's posts and you're like, where did you come from? But they're just coming from a place of negativity. It's like, well, you cannot be truly happy if that's how you're going through life. So yeah, it's just about kind of putting the blinders on sometimes, seeing your vision and just keep continually move towards it. And when you make mistakes, you fall back. Great. That's how you learn and grow, right? That's the life of an entrepreneur. That's what I'm dealing with right now in my own business. You know, I'm learning sales funnels and how to make, you know, I have my email list, like all these things that I've never done before. All of a sudden I'm like, oh. Ever need help advertising, I could help you, by the way. Great. Amazing. Perfect. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I, I think that's still something I'm trying to, that's the one part I'm still trying to figure out is because you try and have empathy for everyone, but obviously it's human nature to form opinions and things on, on whatever your beliefs and stances are, or whatever you think someone like you might, like yeah. you, before you might know them. Yeah. I feel like that's part of like, that's what I'm dealing with now is like trying not to judge, but without like, forming an opinion without really knowing the story or, or the why, or like you said, yes. without having that conversation. Yes. And it, and, and I will go back to listening, mm -hmm. you know, it's listening. People listen, but they listen to wait till you stop so they could say back. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about actually listening. Like if people of all of us, we are all going to have differences, but when you have an ability to sit back, actually listen to hear, sometimes all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know what? I never thought of it that way. That's amazing. You know what? I'm going to try that. And like, I feel like that's how we grow together. But so often we're all just trying to win the argument 
even if it's not an argument and this one's trying to come out on top. And then that's where the discrepancy lies and where, you know, people start battling and there's animosity. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. A lot of that touched home. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate uh, well, it. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the therapy session as well. I feel like we needed that. You're so welcome. <laughs> I, I hope you guys get those journals. Start journaling tomorrow morning. How am I feeling? Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. you can feel free to share with me. Yeah. Yeah, I have all my clients doing it. It's powerful. It really is. It, you're going to see. And you know what? Write down all those things you want. Everything, everything is possible. Mm -hmm. Just don't, don't forget that. The only limits we have are the ones we place on ourselves. So whatever it is in that, you know, future wife you want, write down all those qualities that you're looking for and don't hold back. Like, I hope, you know, I hope we live in the same town. So we, whatever it is, like be really specific and you know what, make yourself a vision board. I did that. And I'm going to tell you something that's freaky. When I was living in New York city and I was doing, I think I was doing Jersey boys at the time. No, it was even before Jersey boys. It was like 2011. I made this vision board and I was cleaning out stuff from my mom's house, like a few months ago. And the vision board was there. And I was like, most of the things on the vision board I did like dead serious. And I was like, Mike, my husband, I was like, we got to do vision boards again. I forgot. Like, this is crazy. And I like, I have it home now. Cause I was like, this is, Oh my God. Like I, I, I did these things. So it's listen, our brains are so powerful. You make a vision board, cut out things from magazines that you want, paste it on your wall and look at it every day. Talk about it. It entering your subconscious mind. It's powerful. Like my, it's like my coach saying in a football game, like visualize it before you do it. Then like I, uh, craziest thing. Like the craziest, the craziest <laughs> story I've ever heard of that was, uh, I don't know if you ever heard the Jim Carrey story where he wrote a check for himself. Yeah. Oh, of, of course. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote yeah. a check for himself. I want to be, what was it? Like $5 million or $25 million or something like that. Like by the time I'm 25 yeah. and like that month he was like turning 25 or something in it. And he wrote himself a, a, like a check on that date. And then that month he, he got a, when the mask came out, he got the money for it. It was like yep. 25 million. Because it's all about seeing it before you believe it. Even you're saying your coach told you to do that. Yeah. When I was, uh, you know, in dance class back in the day, when I was in dance competitions, I'll never forget. My dance teacher had me sit down. She put on my song for my dance, my solo dance. And she was like, I just want you to envision it. And that's what I did. So before I actually even got up and moved, I envisioned doing the dance amazing and then got up and did it. Mm -hmm. So there's there's power in that, my friends. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's yeah, so, it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Honestly, yeah. I'm so. Uh, this was this was awesome. When is I, when is your book coming out? That's do you, do you have well, a book out right now? No, it's not out right now. It's my first book. I'm I'm literally it's like three quarters of the way written. So okay. that is my that's my goal um, right now. That's like my priority. So I just told my husband I was like. I need to take three days. I don't, I don't care where I go, but I need to literally take like three days and just zone out to write. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, I mean, writing is trying to pair writing a book with like coaching clients, doing all this stuff. It's like too, it's too much. So I need to have like peace and quiet. So I'm like, I need to go away for three days. Like I'll go sit on the beach or whatever, but I just need to like be alone so I can like get this out. So hopefully the goal is it will be, I'm, I'm manifesting. It will be published before the end of the year. Oh yeah. Sweet. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing before I, no, I'm believing it. No, I'm seeing it before I believe it. 
I'm looking yeah, forward to we're, it. We're definitely going to buy one of those um, copies. <laughs> you, but seriously, if you need help advertising stuff when you get to that point, that's Thank you so much. No, I will definitely, definitely take you up on that. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And if you want to throw out your social media handles to everyone. Yeah, sure. So um, you can find me on Instagram at Renee Marino Official, uh, Facebook at Renee Marino, and Twitter at Renee Marino. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Thank you guys so much. Nice to meet you. Wait, let's take a picture. Ready? Smile. One, two, three. Is that going to Frank? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm about to text him with that. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube